The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. We begin our uh, reading this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1 and sort of remind ourselves where we are in the life of David. David's had quite a bit of trouble since he forgot that God is faithful and began to try to manipulate his circumstances in a way that would save his life and get him to the place where David thinks he needs to be, even though it might not be exactly where God would have him to be. You recall that David engaged in deceit and uh, his wife was involved in that. He fled from Saul while he was living in the palace of the king and he was the great war leader for Saul. And Saul got after him and so he had Michael, his wife, who is Saul's daughter, to make up a uh, dummy and lay it in the bed. And uh, he, she let David out the window and he fled. Uh, and you say, as we've said many times, well, that's that's just good common sense, right? Well, uh, he would have died if he'd stayed there, right? We see that he went immediately to Samuel, and Saul came after Samuel, and, and Saul, I mean, and David just as hard as he came after David alone. And the next thing we find is that Saul is prophesying uh, unclothed there uh, in the streets in, in Ramah where, uh, uh, where, where Samuel was. And Samuel, we're going to read about for too long, Samuel dies of natural causes. Saul never killed Samuel. And uh, I believe he would have protected David in the same way. Then David goes to, uh, to, to Nob, and he uh, ends up lying to the priest there, Ahimelech, and caused, ultimately caused the death of 85 people in Ahimelech's family. Only one of them survived and came to be with him. And then uh, he goes to the place where Achish is. Uh, Achish is uh, uh, the king of the Philistines. And, and the next thing you know, in order to save his life there, he's got to act like he's a madman. He's got to act like he's lost his mind. He begins to slobber all over himself and to drool and to, and to beat his head against the gate and to scratch at the gates like a dog. And, and the next thing you know, he's Achish, who, you know, he's walking. <laughs> you know, this is so so funny how things will happen to you when you get away from God. Uh, David says, I think it's a wonderful idea to take the sword of Goliath, who I killed, uh, and go to his hometown and march up and down the streets of Goliath's hometown. Yeah, nobody will be mad at me about killing their warrior, killing their friend, killing their son. Nobody will be mad at me there, will they? Well, sure enough. He goes to Achish, the, the king of Gath, and they say, wait a minute, that's David. We recognize him because of the sword he's carrying. He killed our brother. He killed our cousin. He killed our friend, our hero, you know, the hometown hero. And so he has to pretend he's crazy in order to get out of that mess. And finally he ends up down in a dulem in a cave. In verse 22, chapter 22 and verse 1, David therefore departed thence, and escaped to the cave of Dulam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him, and everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves together unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. David has gotten to the place that you and I will always get to when we forget that God is faithful and we try to take matters into our own hands. He ends up in the cave and he's 
He's the captain now. He's the king, right? Over 400 malcontents who owe money to everybody, probably to the government, but maybe to everybody else. They saw an opportunity to escape out of their problems. And all those that were in distress, they had their own problems. And let me tell you, when, when 400 people with their own problems come together, they don't solve their own problems. They just, they just multiply their problems. <laughs> and they're together there and they say, David, we want you to be our king. <laughs> well, he's our king. He's their captain over them now, right? David's in a mess. And we know this because he wrote a couple of psalms from that cave. And today I want to talk to you a little bit from Psalm 142, which is, uh, if you read the superscription over this psalm, it says, it's a masculine of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. What I love about David is that he is such a great encouragement to me because he mirrors the expressions and feelings of my own heart. He, and we, we don't just read about his life and have to suppose what he was thinking. He actually wrote down his thoughts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, understand, uh, this isn't just something David came up with, but, but realize, too, that the Holy Spirit moved men of God. You see, he said, holy men were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's how we got the Bible. And, and that tells me something about that. That tells me that we get... The words that are written are absolutely inspired of God, no doubt. But it also tells me we get a little flavor of the man when we read what the man wrote, when it, even though it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I love that about David because David was a man of faith. He was a man of vision, but he sometimes struggled with putting his faith into practice. Mm -hmm. Do you get that? <laughs> do you identify with that? I know I do. <laughs> I identify with that. And this cave experience that he had is the place I sometimes find myself. I, I'm not sure the number, and I haven't, done, I haven't studied this out for myself. I've read in one place there were five psalms that David wrote while he was fleeing from Saul. I read in another place there were eight psalms. But he wrote two of them while he was in the cave. And one of them is here, Psalm 142. The other we dealt with last time in Psalm 57. And notice what's happened here as we read this psalm in a minute. David has come to the end of himself. David has gotten to the place that we all get to from time to time, this dark place where God seems not to be. I've been there. I, I suggest that you've been there. I believe, and, and I say, without knowing your particular circumstances, I know your nature, and it's just like mine. And I have been there, and he wrote down these thoughts. He wrote down his depression. He wrote down his struggles. But he also wrote down a plan for how to get out of them. So let's begin reading with no further ado in Psalm 142. We're just going to read the whole psalm. And look at it with me. Psalm 142 and verse 1. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion 
in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Notice that the, the psalm begins with a cry of despair, and it ends with a shout of victory. But how do you get from that cry of despair to the shout of victory? Well, let's look first of all at David's problems as he sets them out here in this psalm. The first thing we read about him is he was overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed. Look at verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Has your spirit ever been overwhelmed within you? Sometimes as I get older, Brother Buddy and I have talked about this a little bit. As I get older, there are times my, my spirit gets overwhelmed within me for no reason. <laughs> Sometimes, some mornings, I just wake up. And all I did was wake up. And I'm feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> I don't get that, but I, I guess I do. The older I get, uh, Brother Buddy's preached on that from uh, Ecclesiastes 12. Things change as you get older. Young folks... Remember that. I don't mean to discourage you, and I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm trying to encourage you to seek the Lord while you're young and to look into His Word while you're young because as you get older, that will be harder to do. Things don't get easier and easier. You think, well, I finally, I'm finally overcoming sin. I'm, I'm 50. I'm 60. I'm 70. I finally, I've got it licked. You know, David was in his, probably in his 50s. Maybe, you know, maybe approaching, I don't know his exact age. He was probably in his 50s when he committed that sin with Bathsheba. <laughs> Things don't get easier. They don't. His spirit here was overwhelmed within him as a young man. He was in this cave surrounded by these malcontents, these miscreants. He was, he was surrounded by people that were unhappy. And they really weren't seeking God either. <laughs> From what I can tell, he was the only one in that cave that was really there because he was trying to ultimately find God's will for his life. All these others just flocked to him because they saw a way out. David was a man of faith. He was seeking God. He had been faithless in his actions, but here we see that he says, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. That word overwhelmed in the Hebrew comes from a primitive root word meaning to shroud. You've heard of the burial shroud? They wrap them up in black clothing, burial clothing, and it gives the idea of darkness. It gives the idea of swooning because of the darkness. The idea of being wrapped up in your troubles. His soul, his spirit was so wrapped up in his troubles and in his gloom over these troubles that his very judgment was perverted. He was hunted by the king. He was surrounded by... These lions, he calls them. Can you imagine every night you lay down and you say, I'm surrounded by lions. You know, I think about poor old Daniel. I, I hope Daniel, I, I believe he probably slept in the lion's den. He had more faith than I've got. But even with faith, if I lay down in a den of lions and lions all around me, it'd be hard for me to sleep, I'll tell you. And I think that's where David found himself. They weren't literal lions, but they were, they were rough, tough violent men. You're going to read later on as we go through this. There were times that these men, uh, once, not, not far from this point, they get mad at David and they're going to kill him. He knew they could turn on him in an instant. 
He said he was among lions. That's, that's the nature of a lion, isn't it? You know, I see all these people that are friends with lions. You know, the, the lion trainers and some of these. Well, there was, there was a show not too long ago about this guy. This guy, it wasn't lions, but it was bears. He decided that he could go up into the Yukon and, and just live with the bears. And he was out there for some months, I think, and, and everybody's thinking the same thing. This ain't going to end well. He ended up getting eaten up by the bears at some point. That's what David is. David is like, he's, among, he's like that guy living among the bears. There are lions around him. They will turn. They, they're violent men. There's twice we'll read about when they encourage him to kill Saul. And David knew better than to do that. But, but they are, they're violent, bloody men. And they're wanting to. They're, there's times when David knows they will turn on him. He was surrounded by these lions. He had the burden of guilt in his life. Remember, we just finished up reading about how burdened he was, how sorrowful his heart was. That this man, Dog, who was an Edomite who worked for King Saul, had been there when he went to Ahimelech. And Dog went back and told Saul that David had been sheltered by Ahimelech and his family at Nob. And Saul comes over and gets Dog to kill 85 of them. And David said, I knew it. Man, I can just see David's, I can see his eyes filled with tears. He said, I knew that was going to happen. And it started, it happened because of the lie he told to Ahimelech in the first place. You see, he was, he was burdened by guilt. And he was, weighed, he was their leader now, too. He was weighed down by respons his responsibilities. I'm blessed in the, in the job that I do. Brother Buddy works for me and others work for me. that are They are good folks. And I, I'm the leader in the office. But I, I'm, I'm not the leader of a bunch of lions. <laughs> you know, Brother Buddy and them are not tearing at each other constantly and trying to get one up on each other. They're not, you know, they're, they're, they're good folks and we're all pulling in the same direction. That is not the case with David. If you've ever been the leader, the supervisor of a group of any kind where they're constantly at one another's throats, that's a burden. He was weighed down by his responsibilities as a leader and it appears he just, he didn't even know where to start. He said... I cried unto the Lord. I cried unto the Lord. He says, I poured out my complaint. My spirit was overwhelmed within me. He was overwhelmed and he was alone. He was alone. Verse 4, he said, I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me. David, what are you talking about? You're among 400 people. Have you ever been alone in a crowd? You ever been in a crowd and just been, felt like you were completely alone? In 1989, I was in England and been there about five weeks and had made friends there. It was a study tour University of Alabama, through the University of Alabama. But I'd been away from home and my, home, my family and my friends for, for about five weeks. As I said, I'd made some friends there, but this particular weekend, I decided to go into London. We stayed at Oxford. I decided to go into London, and I decided to uh, see the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace. And I thought, you know, I hadn't seen it yet, and it was my last weekend there. And so I went, and, and I just tell you, I was a little down. I mean, it was, you know, that's, that's one of those trips that gets better the farther away from it you get. You know, you ever been on those trips? It's, oh, that was a wonderful time, you know? You forget about the loneliness and the, and the, and the homesickness you endured. It kind of pales once you get, but in the middle of it, we were all homesick, let me tell you. And so I was homesick, but I went in, the, I went in and, uh, and I was standing in a crowd of probably, I don't know, 20,000 people. It, it seemed like it. It may not have been that many. It was thousands, though, I'll tell you. Right in the middle of them, and everybody had their 
You know, even Yankees don't talk like the English do. The British have this, you know, this way of talking, you know, that doesn't sound like they're from around here, let me just say. <laughs> and, um, and so um, I was standing there in this crowd just feeling, but I was surrounded by thousands of people and not one of them sounded like me, not one of them thought like me. And about this time, about two people over, I heard a guy say, say, man, it sure is hot out here. And I said, where are you from? <laughs> he said, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. I said, that's close enough. I'm from Gordo, Alabama. And we hit up, we talked. It was just like a, I don't remember the guy's name now, but I wanted to hug him, you know. And, and it's the first time I'd heard that kind of talk in, six, in nearly six weeks. And, but I was, my, my point is, I was so alone over there in the midst of thousands. And you can be alone, child of God, in a crowd. I've felt that way uh, since then in a, on a lesser scale. When I've got burdens and I've got problems that are overwhelming me, and I'm out amongst friends, but I can't share it with them. I can't talk to them about it. I've been alone in a crowd. I feel like in some places uh, where I'm surrounded by lions, I'm surrounded by people that are thinking differently than me. Now, maybe it work maybe at uh, in your social gatherings i don't know where it may be but i have been there since then this is where david is he says although i am one in a 400 person crowd he says i looked on my right hand and beheld but there was no man that would know me refuge failed me no man cared for my soul nobody knew the trouble david had seen that's what he's saying basically nobody knows the trouble that i've seen you know, sometimes we get to that point in our lives where we feel there's no one we can talk to. There's no one we can share with. The problems that we have have a tendency to isolate us. He was alone. I've many times wanted to share the pressures of, you know, some, sometimes you'll see preachers when they get together. And, and, and let me just say, we do not believe in cliques in the, in the church of the living God. Absolutely not. But one of the struggles I have, and I'll tell you sometimes, is when a, when a preacher comes around or there's several preachers around, I often tend to gravitate toward them because I want to share, you know, hear their troubles and talk to them because there's, there's, there's things that they've experienced maybe that I've experienced. And, and there's many times I've wanted to share that with them. And even then I can't do it. And, I, and, and we tell, you know, preachers like to flock together, you know, sometimes. And we have to watch that too and make sure we're not just uh, hanging out with each other. But, but there's many times I've wanted to share those pressures and, uh, of, of pastoring, even with my dear wife. And she gets it better than anybody else does. Uh, but, but she can't get it completely. I've wanted to share the, the pressures of prosecuting. I've wanted to share the pressures of being a father. I wanted to share the pressures of all the things that I'm experiencing, but I just can't share it always with somebody else. That's where David was. He was alone. And oh, was he depressed. Look at verse 6. He says, Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. That word means to slacken or to be feeble, to dry up or to be emptied. He said, I'm depressed. I'm depressed. You know, many people experience that. Some experience it uh, from a physiological standpoint. And there is a physical aspect to probably all depression. Some have gotten so depressed they've ended their own lives. They counted up the problems in their lives, added them all up and said, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it anymore. 
All hope was gone for him. All joy was gone. He's not experiencing the joy of his salvation right here in this cave. There's no joy in the cave. There's no joy in the cave. But notice also, let me just say something about what David's doing here. You notice that the problems and the pressures and these experiences are overwhelming him. And what he's doing is his thoughts have turned inward. His thoughts have turned inward. You know, really, King Saul wasn't the problem anymore. Because he's, he's escaped King Saul. And he's in the cave. Now, Saul was after him. Saul, And we're going to read some more. David, David continues to experience depression and, and these pressures throughout his life. David here, though, I believe himself was part of the problem. He was not. He was focusing inward and internalizing these things. And when he thought about them, they overwhelmed him. And I just got to tell you, when I think about the problems I, that I have in my life, when I focus on them and I internalize them, they overwhelm me every time. Every single time. And you know what the end result is? Same end result that David had here is he was defeated. I become defeated. <laughs> Look at verse 6 again. He says, Attend to my cry, for I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. The score has been tallied up, and David's lost. The, end, the game's over. In David's mind, I've tallied up the score. They're stronger than I am. There's no way I can beat them. I'm the loser. He even felt like, it says in verse 7, bring my soul out of prison. He even felt like he was in prison. And I believe what we're seeing here is the lowest part of David's life thus far in his life. He's overwhelmed, he's alone, he's depressed, and he's defeated here in this cave. But I got good news for you. David doesn't stay here. There's another man that was depressed as well. Psalm 73. He puts it like this. Asaph, who wrote this psalm, starts off this way in Psalm 73. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But look at verse 2. You ever been here? You ever, you ever heard somebody say, Oh, the Lord will bless you. The Lord is, the Lord is good to His people. The Lord will bless you. You know, you do right, the Lord will bless you. <laughs> I've heard that many times. And, and, and generally, let, let me just say, that's the, that's the teaching of the Word of God. When we do right, the Lord tends to bless us. Okay? When we do wrong, we can't expect the blessings of God. But you ever told, had somebody tell you that and you say, well, yeah, I know that's true, but as for me, <laughs> but as for me, you know, my situation hadn't worked out that way. <laughs> my situation hadn't been quite the same as what, you know, and I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel here either. Let me just say, don't, don't buy into that mess. Don't buy into the Joel Osteens of the world that'll tell you, oh, send me a hundred dollars and you get a thousand back send me a thousand dollars you get ten thousand back and just think yourself into a better uh way of living <laughs> i'll tell you that name it and claim it crowd didn't work out too well for Job, did it didn't work out too well just name it and claim it <laughs> you'll be a better get the sin out of your life do do better he didn't he didn't they didn't get that did they notice what asaph says here he says truly god is good to israel even to such as are of a clean heart but as for me and sometimes I found myself here. As for me, my feet were almost gone. 
My steps had well nigh slipped. <laughs> now, understand something here that as you continue reading, this is a different sermon, okay? Because there's a different reason Asaph is down and out. Asaph really could blame himself in, in some, some re very real ways because it says he was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, I, I just want to stop and sort of take the rabbit trail here for just a second and say to you, child of God, if you want a surefire path to depression, become envious at the foolish <laughs> and become en envious at the wicked. Look around you in a horizontal way and say, well, that guy's not living, not even trying to live right. He's got more money than I'll ever have. <laughs> uh, look how easy their life is. Oh, my life, I'm struggling, trying to serve the Lord, but it seems like everybody's doing better than me when they don't serve the Lord. Sometimes, let me just say, there's a reason for that. Even as a child of God, you know, I think, I don't notice very much, very many places where the devil really messed with Lot too much, did he? He had one time when he had trouble, you know, he got carried off captive, but he had just one time when he had trouble. But mostly, I think the devil left Lot alone. You know why? Even though Lot was a child of God, the devil had him right where he wanted him. <laughs> he was right out there serving himself and serving the world and serving the devil. You say a child of God can serve the devil? Amen, he can. Yeah. You don't think you can? Just quit coming to church. Quit reading your word. Quit, quit thinking about things of God. Go out there in the world and, and pitch your tent towards Sodom. And the next thing you know, I, you know, the devil will leave you alone in many ways. The problem is, child of God, the Lord won't leave you alone. I'd rather have the devil after me than the Lord after me any day, okay? Because <laughs> the Lord can protect me from the devil, but... Uh, the devil can't get me unless the Lord suffers it, the hedge to be removed. The point of this is, his problems were a little different than David's. David wasn't looking around in envy at the world. He was just suffering from all the persecutions he'd experienced, and many of which he'd brought on himself. But this man said, my feet were almost gone. I mean, that means he said, my steps had well nigh slipped. It's like he's hanging on by a thread. <laughs> He's only, he hasn't got much left. It's, you know, he's at the end of the rope and he's tied a knot and the, and the knot's fraying. You know, he's about to slip off. But I want you to notice what snapped him out of it too. It's going to be the same thing that's going to snap David out of it. Down in verse 16 of this same verse, he said, when I thought to know this, he said, he said in verse 13, I've cleansed my heart in vain. It's vain for me to serve the Lord. He said, when I thought to know this, verse 16, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. You want to know another good reason to come to church? It'll keep your mind focused on what it ought to be focused on. And it'll, it'll, completely, it'll completely straighten out that, you know, I sometimes think my thoughts are just like a little... You, you ever seen a, a fishing line that's got all tangled up? You know, it kicks back and a little rod and reel, and that thing's just a mess. You ever tried to unravel one of those things? Yeah, it's, it's just about impossible. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like that's what my mind is like. It's, got, it's like that fishing line that's got all tangled up. You know the only way to fix that fishing line? is just cut it off and retie the knot and go forward. That's what church does for you. <laughs> It'll, it'll straighten out that knot. It'll straighten out that knot and that mess in your head. He said, when I came to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. 
See, I, what he said, he said, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, uh, How are they brought unto desolation? As in a moment. He said, their, their, uh, their fortunes will change just like that, if not in this life, in the life to come. You know what he's doing here? He said, Quit looking around. Quit looking around. Look up. Look up. Remember, you know, you say, Well, I just haven't got anything good out of this life. Well, what good do you really expect to get out of this life? <laughs> That's not where our hope is. Our hope is not in a mansion on the hill. Our, our hope is in a mansion in heaven, you know? And he says, when I went to church, I began to see and to hear the truth. Going to God's house, going back to the Lord, we'll fix this. So let's turn back to Psalm 142 as we bring this to a close. And let's quit focusing on David's problems. And now let's look at David's prayer. David's prayer. You remember in Ephesians chapter 6, we talked about the armor. Brother, Brother James Godfrey brought a wonderful introduction the other day about the armor of God. But you remember what the supply line was? It was praying. <laughs> Prayer is a supply line. You know that your, your uh, army is only as good as your logistics. Your, your battle can't be won without the supply of troops and of fuel and of all the things that are necessary to make that to make that uh, army move. So let's see what David did. The first thing we see he did is he talked to God. He talked to God. Notice, notice in verse one, uh, verse 1, Psalm 142, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. Look at verse 5. I cried unto thee, O Lord. <laughs> look, at verse, um, look at verse 6. Attend unto my cry. Now notice what he's doing here. This was a this this Hebrew word for cry is the word for shout, and it's actually making noise. Now, now what he's doing here is he's praying a verbal prayer. He's actually talking to God in a verbal sense. Now I know we can we can talk silently to God, and I don't I don't ever I don't um, you know I hope you're praying out there as I'm preaching. But I don't want you talking, okay? <laughs> do it in your mind. Do it in your heart. You know, you can't be talking while I'm talking. It's not going to do us any good. So you can pray silently. And I love the silent prayers of God's people. But notice that there's times we need to get together with God. We need to get alone, away from everybody else. Jesus went up in the mountain so he could talk to God. Amen. Jesus prayed consistently and vocally during his earthly ministry. Look, look, just, just look over John 11, for example. Notice, notice here in, in, the, in the account here of, um, of Lazarus being resurrected. Look at verse 41. As he goes out there where he was laying, it says, uh, to, to the graveside of Lazarus, it says, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, they heard him. You see, he was pre praying publicly and vocally, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. <laughs> But because of the people which stand by, I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Notice he's, he's verbally speaking to God. Now that was a public prayer, but turn with me back over to Matthew chapter 26. And let's notice this. This is the most earnest and um, heartfelt prayer that we read about the Lord Jesus Christ ever praying, I believe. And in verse 38 of Matthew 26, he saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, 
Say, see, he didn't just think it. He said it. He spoke to God. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he goes on to pray that prayer at least one or two more times. Jesus prayed verbally. And I believe that it's teaching us something. That's the reason we need a little prayer closet. That's the reason we need, and it may not be a place in the house. You know, you've seen that, that movie War Room. This particular house had a little room, which is where the owner went and prayed. Well, that's a good thing to do. That's a good idea to have a place in your house to go. But you don't have to. You can get out on your back porch. You can go walking in the woods. <laughs> you can be driving down the road. You know, now if you're going to be praying a prayer like David's praying, I wouldn't suggest you drive down the road. <laughs> You'll get to the point where you won't be able to see for the tears. But, uh, but you see, he verbally prayed. He vocalized his, his needs and his problems to God. You know, sometimes I... F- <laughs> I hope I think you get this. But sometimes I feel like I just need to talk to somebody. I just need to, it helps to clarify my problems. I, I've told you this uh, this before. Uh, probably one of the most seminal moments in my ministry was after I had made a decision to go to a church that the Lord clearly was not in the matter. He turns out. And for about three weeks, I struggled with that decision, and, and I, I found myself to be in the cave just like David here. Nobody I could talk to, nobody I, I could My dear sweet wife who knew my problems and knew my struggles, I still couldn't tell. I couldn't talk to her. I couldn't, there were times I got to the point where I couldn't pray, I didn't think. I felt like I could just, all I could do was groan before the Lord. And I, so I finally went to the doctor. <laughs> I went to the doctor and I sat down with the doctor because I was having headaches, heartaches, body aches, you know. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. And I told him all, I said, doc, I said, listen, my head hurts, my chest hurts, my body hurts. I can't sleep. I'm not doing well. All these things are happening, and 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 I think I'm out of the will of God. <laughs> and that's when he stopped writing. And he looked up at me and said, "I can't help you with that." One. <laughs> but you know what? That helped me more than anything else <laughs> to just verbalize that to the doctor. Can you imagine how much greater a help it is to verbalize it before God? You don't have to come to me. I, I listen. Let me, let me make this as plain as I can make it. You have every right and access to me anytime you need it. I don't care when it is. If it's 3 in the morning, I'm your pastor. If you need to talk to me, I'm here for you. Okay? I don't care. Don't ever have, oh, I'd hate to bother him. He's too busy. I'm never too busy. I may not get the call, but as soon as I get it, I'll call you back. I'll get back to you. I'll try to get in touch. I'm always there for you. But we're not like the Catholics, where we believe you've got to come to me and confess your every sin. In fact, I don't, I don't really want you to, okay? I, I, got a, I got enough sins of my own to deal with. No, seriously, I mean, I, I don't mean that the way it sounds. If you've got a sin or something you're dealing with, you come talk to me about it. You, I'm telling you, that's part of what uh, the job of pastor is all about. But my point is, you don't have, I, I want you to come to me, but, but more than that, I want you to go to God. Because that's where David went. He wasn't sitting there talking to the, to the chief chaplain. <laughs> I don't believe there was a chaplain in this crowd of ne'er-do-wells. He was talking to God. And he verbalized his prayer. And you know, the other problem is this. Just like I told you, you're always welcome to call me. But you know what? Sometimes that cell phone don't have service. Sometimes it's dead. 
I've had situations I used to wake up just like that when I hear it buzz. I don't always hear it anymore. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> well, I go to my wife. I go to my husband. Sometimes can't get to them. I've been to the point where I could not talk and explain it to my dear wife. I've been to that point, even though she's willing there to listen. And, and, and there have been times when she was so distraught that I couldn't really burden her with the problems I had, that I'm the leader of the household. I'm the head of the house. Man, you get that. I'm the head of the house. And I can't show all this weakness, although that's a lie. By the way, you better be showing weakness to your wife, men. You better let them know that, you're, that you need them. But there have been times when they're not there. But you know what the book of Proverbs says? The book of Proverbs says in chapter 18 and verse 24 that there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I'm so blessed to have a brother that I know I can go to and I can talk to about anything. And he can come to me. I'll never forget, and I'm probably sharing a confidence here, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'll never forget one of his dear friends was Elder Obey, who, uh, who was the, the precious pastor of the Primitive Baptist Church in uh, Tanzania. And the day we got word that he died, Tim came up to my office and cried on my shoulder. And, and we wept together. And I'm so thankful for those moments. I'm so thankful for that, that ability to have that brother there. But he's not always there. He's not always available. But guess what? God hears our every earnest prayer. You can always talk to God. I love the book of Revelation and what it teaches us, not about things in the future, but about things right here and now. In chapter 5, it says, in verse 6, it says, I beheld, this is the vision now of John. He's being shown this book that no man's able to open. And he wept about it because nobody was able to open and read the book. And I believe that book was just, the, that scroll was just the scroll of redemptive history. The history of God's uh, redemptive acts and what he's doing for his people. And finally, they said, don't weep. The line of the tribe of Judah is able to open it. And it says in verse 6, I beheld it low in the midst of the throne of the four beasts. In the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. What a glorious day that is. What a glorious scene that is that God is, is saying to us through this that my son, Jesus Christ, who is a lion, but yet he's a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's prevailed and he's taken it. And, and, and in the midst of all this, surely nothing else is important. But he says when he had taken the book, the four beasts, and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Do you notice what he's saying here in this setting? That in the midst of the redemption of his people, the prayers of his saints are important to him? You would think, well, I've dealt with the crucifixion. I'm, you know, that's, that's all I'm going to deal with today. But no, the prayers of God's people are still important to him. We read about in the 8th chapter, I believe it is, where... Uh, in verse 1, it says, uh, says, When he'd opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. What happens during this silence? Well, he goes on to tell us, I saw the seven angels which stood before God. To them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. I feel myself to be such a pitiful prayer. 
I feel myself to not know, so often to not know what to say in prayer. I don't even know how to pray for you sometimes, much less for me. But I see where there's an angel that takes the prayers of God's people and he pours them out before the Lord. And it says they're filled with their fragrance before in the nostrils of God. It's not just something that annoys him. Sometimes I feel like I bug him to death. But you know, the, the story about the unjust judge was not to teach us that God is an unjust judge. It was to teach us about the importance of perseverance in praying. He said this woman, this woman knew, uh, she, she kept going to this judge and kept bugging him with her petition. And finally he said, okay, okay, I'm tired of dealing with you. I'll grant it, just leave me alone. See, the point of that was not to say that's God. God's not the unjust judge. It says, oh, please, Chris, just quit bugging me. I'll let you have what you want. That's not what he's saying. He's up there in heaven, in the silence of heaven. He's hearing our prayers. There's a lot going on in heaven. There's a lot happening. The lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world walked up and took the scroll from his hand. In the midst of that, there's a vial with a fragrant incense that is the prayers of God's people. You see, God hears our earnest prayer. That's what he says to us. You know, we, we read this sometimes and we talk about the throne of grace sometimes, but do you realize under, really, child of God, what he's saying in chapter 4 of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not. See, we have a high priest, but here's what he's not, he's fixing to say to us. There's a lot of things he is, but this is what he's not. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Praise God for that. Because I've got so many infirmities. You know, I'm so thankful he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I think that's what pricked at the heart of that Ethiopian eunuch. That man that was struggling, he was a child of God, born of the Spirit already. I believe that's what pricked at his heart. I've got griefs. I've got sorrows. I've been despised. I've been rejected by men. But we got a Savior that was the same in the same boat as we were. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore. You know what he's saying? When you see therefore, he's pointing us back. Because of this, child of God. Because we have a, a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He didn't say come slinking up there and try to ease up and not disturb anybody. He said you march right up to the throne of grace just like David did here and you bear your petitions before him because he is interested and he cares for you. And notice that David here was specific in his prayers. I've had this question asked for me, to me before. Preacher, is it okay to pray for specific things? And, and the answer is absolutely Absolutely. I always add the tag. I always add the chorus. Thy will be, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. But it's okay. If you believe you know what is the will of God and what, what is good for you, and you, pray for that. Pray for it. David here said he was specific in his prayers. He said in verse 2, he says, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. It's like they sat down at a table and, and David had a book. You know, it reminds me, I think in legal terms, because that's what I do for a living. It's like he had a brief written here. 
And he comes up to the table and he sits down. Now, Lord, here, I, let me just, I've written this out. Let me just show you what my problems are. Let's look at it together, Lord. I poured out my complaint before him. I told him my troubles. I gave him, uh, I drew him a picture, if you will. <laughs> now, God already knew his troubles, but he likes for us to discuss them with him, you know. I know a lot of times with my children, I know what they're going through. I know the problems they're having, but I love to talk with them about it. I want them to come to me. I want them to tell me, Dad, I need to talk to you. I'm having troubles. And sometimes I can say, yeah, I knew that. How'd you know that? <laughs> well, I just did. I, I'm dad. You know, I, I know things. <laughs> and God is God. And he's our great dad up in heaven. <laughs> he knows everything. He wants us to discuss them with him. He wants us to seek his face. In um, Psalm 27, verse 8, listen to this. Well, verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. This is another psalm of David. Have mercy upon me also and answer me. When thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. <laughs> In other words, God wants us to seek his face. He wants us to call upon him because he loves us. You think you love your children? You ain't got a clue what love for children is till you understand how much God loves us. And then finally, as we close, notice that he not only talked to God, but he praised God. He praised God. David's path back to joy and fellowship began with recognizing the great power and provision that God has for his people. Look at verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. You know, that comforts me. Because sometimes people, you know, I want to share with you and others that are friends of mine, say, this is what's happening in my life. But when I share it with God, He already knows. And not only does He know what I'm going through, He knows the path that I need to take. He knows, you know, sometimes I share things with people and they say, man, I'm going to be praying for you. I don't have a clue how to help you with this. But God knows our path. He knows the path that we need to take. See, God is the great problem solver. And you can capitalize that. He's the great problem, capital P, solver, capital S. He already knows our every need. You know what he says? And I love Romans chapter 8, verse so much in there. But verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There's not a groaning you've ever had in your life and in your heart. It'll ever touch the groanings that the Spirit will make on our behalf. And that's what the model prayer says, isn't it? You know, our prayers should not just be a grocery list. Lord, I need this, I need that, I need the other. Look in Matthew chapter 6 for a minute. And I know we're going over, but we're going to close this out here in just a second. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. This is what he says. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Lord, give me what I need. Lord, give me the daily bread. Lord, give me... No, that's not where we start. That's not where we start. We start off with praise. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. God is the great God who sits on the throne high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. He's the great God and we need to acknowledge that when we go to Him in prayer. Don't just start with your grocery list of things that you need. Then we finally, after praising Him, we get down to the point where He says, please give me my daily bread and forgive me, Lord, of the things that I need to be forgiven of. You see, David 
began to remember God's provision, His power, His problem-solving ability, His, His providence. And when he began to remember that, he also began to move from depression and defeat to joy and victory. Verse 7, as we bring this to a close, look at what he says. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about. They weren't compassing him about right then. But I'm going to get to the point. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. <laughs> Notice where he ends up. He starts out, I'm crying to the Lord. I'm overwhelmed. And he ends up with victory at last. Victory at last. Lord, I know that you're going to deal bountifully with me. You know, when we get our focus off our problems and we begin to focus upon praising our God, that's the pathway to restoration. That's the pathway to coming back into fellowship with God. David began here, I believe, to see God's great power as greater than any problem he would ever face or ever had faced. Now, the beauty of David, as I said, is that he doesn't always stay there, but he always comes back there. Child of God, we may not stay there. No, let me just say that we won't stay there. I'm on the mountaintop this morning. I fully expect tonight, after the, Brother Ricky comes and preaches a great message, as he usually does, that I'll be even higher up the mountain. But there's a valley out there. There's, the reason there's a mountain is that there's a valley on the other side. You wouldn't have mountains without valleys. And valleys aren't, aren't good things. I'm not saying that. But they're, they are things we deal with every week. So I'll go back down the mountain a little bit tomorrow, and I'll start probably getting down close to that valley. And if I'm not careful, I'll end up in the valley. But the pathway back is to focus upon praising Him for His great power and remembering to talk to Him and to share our problems with Him. You know, it's so much better. The, the beauty of, of, of what He sent us, He sent us the Comforter. And literally that means the one who comes up beside and helps. That's literally what the Holy Spirit's name is. It's the one that comes up beside, the paraclete in, in, in Greek. He says, I'll send you the paraclete. I'll send you the comforter. He's the one that literally, it means, comes up beside and helps. That's what we need in life, is we need that one to come up beside us and help us in our time of trouble. I trust that we'll all be encouraged by the life of David and by the fact that even though he got down in the valley, even though he ends up in the cave, in our cave experience, we can be like David and we can come out of it and praise him even better on the other side. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.